Welcome. This is the Sydney Ideas Podcast, bringing you talks and conversations featuring the best and brightest minds at the University of Sydney and beyond. Sleep. I can't believe we've got a whole hour to talk about sleep. As a host of a, a breakfast radio program for many years, I actually never, 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 never tire of talking about sleep because, like many shift workers, it becomes an obsession in your life. I need more of it. How do I get more of it? How did I sleep last night? Will I sleep tonight? These are the questions that consume me and I think so many of us much of the time. Sad, really, I know, but like many of you here, the search for a good night's sleep is a constant, constant quest, especially right now. I think for all of us who've been in and out of lockdowns during this pandemic, I don't know about you, but prolonged lockdown has left me feeling more tired than ever, even as I am doing less, actually, than I normally would do in a single day. Some of us are finding it harder to get to sleep after a day in lockdown, and we know too the alarming impact that lockdown has had on people's mental health, particularly, but not only young people. So what's sleep got to do with it? Let's find out. We know that getting enough sleep helps us stay healthy and alert in the short and the long term. But there are so many factors that can impact on our sleep and our sleep patterns. And that's what we're going to explore today. What's the link between your sleep and your body clock and your bodies and your minds? How does sleep impact mood and depression? How does it impact diseases of the brain like dementia? And how do we get better at sleeping and sleeping well? How to get a good night's sleep? Today, our speakers will explain the science and the neuroscience of sleep, of our circadian rhythms, what happens during sleep, and offer practical tips too to help all of us sleep a little better at night or day, depending on your job. Maybe you're a napper like me. Do naps work? That's the question I'm going to ask. Now let's meet our guests. Our first guest is Dr. Jacob Krauss from the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. Jacob is a postdoctoral research fellow with the Youth Mental Health and Technology team at the Brain and Mind Centre and recently part of a major research project on sleep, mental health and young people. It's just been published, the results in the, in the Lancet. Professor Sharon Naismith from the Charles Perkins Centre at the University of Sydney is our second panellist. She's also part of that same research project or was a part of it. Sharon's a clinical neuropsychologist. She's an NHMRC Dementia Leadership Fellow. She holds the Leonard P. Ullman Chair in Psychology at Charles Perkins Centre at Sydney Uni. She's also head of the Healthy Brain Aging Program at the Brain and Mind Centre, which is an early intervention research clinic for dementia. And Associate Professor Sean Kane joins us from Monash University. Hello, Sean. Sean is an expert in circadian rhythms. He's the current president of the Australasian Chronobiology Society, where his lab focuses on individual differences in the sensitivity of the circadian systems, the light, and how these differences lead to poor health outcomes, including sleep disorders, metabolic disease, and depression. So he's just the man to help you sort out your lights regime before you go to bed. He's already helped me with mine, so he can, he can be a great help. It's fantastic. All right, let's get cracking. Starting with the basics. What happens to us when we sleep? Sean, talk circadian rhythms to us. What's the science of it? Well, uh, most people don't realize this, but you, your bodies are made of clocks. We're actually made of trillions of clocks. We've got this uh, bossy master clock at the base of our brain, and it orchestrates the rhythms throughout the brain and body. So you've got loads of clocks in your brain, loads of clocks through virtually every bit of tissue in your body, and they all want to keep a certain time. They want to do one thing at one time of day, another thing at another time of day. One of those, one of those outputs is sleep. So it also tells you when to sleep, when to wake. But virtually everything going on physiologically is timed by a clock. So just to stay with this for a moment, because I'm intrigued, lots of clocks, not just one central sort of like a ner central nervous system clock, lots of clock, clock in your brain, clock in your stomach, tells you how to eat, that sort of thing. Absolutely. You've got a, a master clock at the base of your brain and the signals from your eye go directly to that area and it serves as a sort of master clock. But you have other clocks throughout all the tissue of your brain. You've got clocks in your heart, clocks in your pancreas. Um, pretty much if it's, if it's tissue, it's rhythmic and it's ultimately controlled by that central clock. So what, when the question, what happens to us when we sleep, what's happening to the clock? 
Well, the clock is always keeping time. So when you're asleep, it is trying to maintain your sleep. In fact, at the latter half of the night, you get the strongest signals from your clock to stay asleep. So it, uh, it keeps you awake during the day and it helps you maintain consolidated sleep in the night. But it's just trying to keep time. For example, your heart, uh, it's expecting to work hard during the day. But at night, it needs to recover from all of that work. And so it, it tends to heal itself at night and work hard during the day. And the same could be said about all sorts of tissue in your body. Now, your body's not expecting to digest food in the middle of the night. And so it's not really that prepared to do that. Okay. Sharon, is the same go for our brains? If the question, what happens to us when we sleep, what's happening to our brains? Because I know I sometimes feel like I'm going to go to sleep and I, I have this belief that my brain will sort of data dump, clear itself up and sort itself out and it'll think she'll be right in the morning. What, what happens? Um, well, yeah, that does kind of happen, actually. Um, there is a process where we clear our brains of waste when we sleep. Um, but sleep actually occurs in 90-minute cycles, roughly. So we do start off, you know, awake and then go into very, very light sleep and then gradually go into deeper stages of sleep until we get into a really nice, deep, restorative sleep. So that we call that slow-wave sleep. Um, and that part of sleep is particularly important, we think, for rest um, restorative processes, um, for laying down new memories, for flushing the brain out of different toxins. And then we kind of cycle back up and we might have a little bit of dreaming sleep, the rapid eye movement sleep, and then we'll do the cycles again through the night. Um, so we go through a number of those um, processes. Um, and I guess, you know, when we start to dissect what's happening there, we will look more deeply at the sleep neurophysiology. We can see that the electrical activity in the brain actually changes a lot while we're sleeping. And that coincides with those different sleep stages that we're in. Um, Jacob, from your area of expertise, what happens to us when our sleep? What happens to when we sleep? What happens to our anxieties, our depressive moods, our moods? What, what's going on? Yeah, that's a great question, Fran. Um, I think that's been a concern for a long time. Shakespeare wrote that sleep was the most nourishing course in the feast of life and that sleep was important for healing wounded minds. I think a lot of us know this to be true. So like Sharon talked about, one of the major functions of sleep is restoration. So there's, there's a clear up of the brain, this kind of housekeeping of metabolic waste that builds up throughout the day. And sleep is also really key for kind of the plasticity of our brain and some of these processes we know are involved in mental health conditions like depression and anxiety. So and a lot of these processes are really key in the frontal regions of our brain where we have these higher order cognitive processes that are en engaged in um, anxious thinking and things like this. So sleep is really important for kind of rejuvenating these processes. We'll come back to, we'll speak more, more in depth about, about the brain and, you know, depression and moods, those kind of things. But many of us here tonight, uh, here today rather, and listening, tuning in today are in lockdown, all of us on this panel, uh, certainly in lockdown. So let, let's, have a, let's start off taking a look at the impact of this COVID pandemic and lockdown on our sleep. Sean, Anecdotally, a lot of people are feeling more fatigue when they're stuck at home during lockdown. People are finding it harder to sleep. Is there a scientific reason for that? Is lockdown or how is lockdown affecting our circadian rhythms? Well, uh, I'll, just a spoil, spoiler alert, uh, pretty much everything I say is going to be that it's light. Um, so <laughs> okay. I'm going to tell you now, it, light has a, a lot to do with it. So you, we, we evolved with uh, you know, this bright sunlight, you have a Sun comes up in the morning, same time pretty much every day. Uh, it, it falls, uh, you know, at sunset and uh, it's super regular. We've got bright days, dark nights. But our, in our modern uh, age, we are spending most of our time indoors. So it's really confusing for our clocks. You know, we get actually quite bright nights. Now we have lights everywhere, overhead LEDs, we have phones. So our lights are, are much brighter than they were traditionally, but also our days are less bright. Now the clock really wants to know one thing, is it day or is it night? And it gets that information from our environment, but with about 90% of our days spent indoors, never gets that bright light or very rarely gets the, the bright light it needs. And it gets light that's too bright at night. And what this does is it, it dampens out those rhythms. 
So your body, all of these tissues of your body are less aware of what time of day it is. And there's a sort of general confusion. We know that in depression, uh, what's quite common is this lowering of the strength of the rhythm. It is also something that often happens in age. One thing that can really boost that is avoiding light at night and getting lots of bright light in the day. So but we're if not we're, getting that in lockdown. So why aren't we getting, I mean, I mean, that's it. we can make generalizations, of course, but in lockdown, are you saying we're getting less natural light because well, we're not leaving the house to catch the train to work? Or, but, but on the flip side of that, many people might be going out for a walk in the morning because they've got the time to. Nevertheless, it seems almost universal, anecdote, this is my anecdotal experiment, universal that people are feeling more tired. Yeah, it's, I, I think so. And I think this is part of it. So no one likes commuting, but I, I think it actually served a good purpose, which is you had to get up and you had to get bright light at that same time every day. So it's not just bright light in the day, your body craves regularity. And the commute and the drive home, it was regular bright light exposure. So we might be going out for a walk from time to time, probably not at regular times, probably not uh, as much as, as we think we are. Uh, and so we're missing some light regularity, which causes us to just have these dampened rhythms and our clocks uh, have a fair bit of confusion over that. Okay, Jacob, a, a lot of us are feeling more anxious or have been in and out of anxiety states during lockdown 2-4 for many obvious reasons. But is there, a, is there a link between the growing anxieties brought about by the strangeness and, and sometimes the isolation of lockdown for people or changing work patterns and our sleep? I know your centre has been looking at the impact of the pandemic on young people in particular. What can you, can you shed some light on this? Yeah, I think there's a lot to be anxious about at the moment. We're in, you know, one of the most uncertain times that most of us will have experienced. And for young people, a lot of these concerns are economic. Um, you know, a lot of people aren't able to work and study as they were once able to. We're not able to interact with family and friends um, in ways that we're familiar with. Um, so there is this kind of growing um, stress response and anxiety. And I think this kind of constant concern about what's going on um, leads a lot of people to be thinking about these things before they're going to sleep um, and kind of ruminating on them, um, which we know does lead to problems falling asleep. Um, and I think coupled with some of what Sean was talking about, people are spending more time on their phones um, and watching TV before bed. And we know that this does impact the ability to fall asleep. So I think there's kind of a, it's a perfect storm in a way for having poor sleep. Sharon, uh, apparently a lot of people are reporting through lockdown that their dreams have changed as well. Uh, have you heard of this? So what are you seeing or concluding about the impact of the pandemic and lockdowns on sleep quality and patterns and dreams? I certainly have heard, heard a lot of people talking about their dreams. I do wonder if it comes back to, you know, Sean's point about circadian rhythms and that, um, you know, because our dreaming sleep actually occurs during the later parts of the night, if we wake up oh, in the morning, we actually wake up often when we're, when we're dreaming. And so I wonder if it's got something to do with that. I don't know of any research that has specifically looked at uh, this phenomenon, but I do um, wonder whether it's just that we're waking more during that dreaming stage. So it's because of the timing of our sleep changing a little bit during the lockdown. You're a neuroscientist, <laughs> you're not a dream analyst. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, uh, let's stay with you for a moment and talk about sleep in our brains because a lot of the questions that have come in already are very, very kind of interested in, in this, particularly around the, the questions of sleep and dementia. Um, Belinda's asked, I read that there's a link between overuse of your brain, that is never being able to turn off your thinking, and dementia. Is that right? What are some settling techniques for turning off your brain because meditation doesn't work with busy brains. Now, for a start, Sharon, is that, you know, known to be true? Meditation doesn't work with busy brains. Have you got any advice here or can you speak to this? Yeah, look, there's some evidence to show that meditation does work. Um, I must say there's not a huge amount of randomised controlled trials, which is the gold standard evidence that we'd be looking for, um, for that kind of thing. There's certainly no evidence that I'm aware of that a busy brain in and of itself might lead to dementia. But a busy brain can also can lead to an inability to get to sleep because of anxiety, difficulty relaxing and that kind of thing. So meditation may not be the answer for you. I think the question is, what is the answer? 
answer for the individual person to help them to get to sleep at night better and to stay asleep and have that nicer, deep quality sleep. And maybe we'll talk about that later when we talk about what you can do. Um, but certainly I think finding those things prior to going to sleep at night, like Sean's already alluded to, you know, the lights are important. Um, you know, what's the thing for you that works, you know, in that late part of the night. And also there's lots of things that, you know, can be done to help get that nice restorative sleep as well. So it's important to look at the big picture rather than just the, the one thing when looking at the sleep troubles. In terms of dementia, obviously dementia is a growing problem um, around the world. People talk about an epidemic, a global epidemic of it, or a pandemic, that would be. Uh, here in Australia, I think what the predictions are, we're going to have a million people um, with dementia by 2050, I think, is it? That's right. 20, yeah, that's um, right. Um, which is, you know, enormous. Is there a clear link between dementia and poor sleep or, or lack of sleep? And does that mean that if you can get your sleep patterns going better now, you can stave off dementia? Is the link that clear? The link's not that clear. Um, there was a, a big review of um, this, of all the risk factors for dementia. Um, so we know that there are about 40% of dementia, of the common types of dementia, Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia in particular, about 40% of the risk for those is due to things that are modifiable. So this could be cardiovascular disease, it could be depression, it could be low exercise, low education. Now, sleep was not included in that list of things that has a clear link. And I think that's because of the um, different methods that have been used in the field. So there's a little bit of uncertainty around that. Having said that, there is very clear epidemiological evidence. So this is the evidence where we look at, you know, thousands or millions of people and combine that into one meta-analysis. So we bring all the studies together and we look at the, the evidence for that. And there is definitely um, evidence from those studies suggesting that sleep disturbance um, is uh, linked with the later onset of dementia. Um, so that comes from a few different areas. So some people report that their quality of sleep is not great and that's been linked to dementia. But um, more recently, there's been a lot of evidence looking at sleep duration. So sleeping less yeah. than seven hours or less than six hours, there's a bit more of a robust evidence base behind that in particular at the moment and potentially also excessively long sleep seems to be linked with that. And then the other big type of sleep disorder is sleep apnea, and there's a 26% increased risk of dementia for that. So I think that the reason why it's not clearly established as a risk factor is we're still really at the beginning stages of trying to unravel all of those precise elements of sleep because sleep, sleep is not a one thing. There are so many different things that sleep does, you know, in the brain and all of those hours yeah. of sleeping, um, to, to kind of keep our brains healthy. Yeah, I've read some of those of those uh, reports. I must say, personally, as someone because of my job doesn't get enough hours of sleep, I found it quite terrifying. Um, Sean or Jacob, would you like to add to this? Sean, I was wondering, someone's asked a question, for instance, about is the circadian rhythm a hormonal, a hormonal cascade and are there any other hormones that directly affect the circadian rhythm? In other words, if you were trying to correct your sleep, uh, is, there, is there hormonal um, answer to that, solution to that? Can you talk to that? And Jacob, do you have any views in terms of the link between the sleep and mind and a healthy mind and a, a mind that hopefully would stave off dementia or any, any of those other diseases? I'll start off. Uh, it, it's a great question because every night your body produces the uh, sleep-promoting hormone melatonin. So it's telling your body it's nighttime and you start to sort of relax and, and get a little bit sleepy and it occurs over several hours. One big problem is that our modern environments have so much light in them that it actually suppresses that melatonin. We did a study in Australian homes and found that about half homes have enough light all the way up to bed to suppress about half of that melatonin. So it's making it very hard to get sleepy, to get to sleep. And in fact, it tricks your clock into thinking it's actually still daytime. So if you're exposing yourself to too much light before bed, you're telling your clock it's day, it's not night, it's actually not time to go to sleep. So it's no wonder people have trouble getting to sleep. Jacob? Yeah, I might piggyback off what Sharon was talking about with some of these modifiable risk factors. So um, depression being a really key one for dementia. And my team's major interest is in young people. So we know that um, most depressions will 
emerge when people are young, so in adolescence and early adulthood. Um, and sleep does seem to be quite closely linked to certain kinds of depression. Um, there's certainly um, sleep disturbances observed in most people with depression, um, but we think that there's a causal element for certain individuals. So if we treat some of these sleep-wake disturbances and some disturbances in the circadian cycle, um, we might be able to prevent some of this depression, and that might potentially have effects further down in life, um, so preventing some of the onset of, of dementia potentially. And can treating them be as simple as, you know, Sean talked about melatonin. A lot of people take melatonin to regulate their sleep. I've never tried it, but, you know, does it, is that, is it work? Does it work? There's good evidence that, yes, that it does work. I, I think a lot of people will try melatonin and they expect it to be like a sleeping pill and it's not. It, it is sleep promoting, but it's not going to knock you out. So I think people's expectations tends to be a bit high for melatonin. And really your body is producing it anyway. So if you just get the light right in your environment, your body produces its own melatonin. And that's probably the, the best place to start rather than getting exogenous you know, melatonin in a pill. Um, just let your body do its work by keeping your environment before bed as dark as it can be for a couple of hours before bed at least. Jacob, just back to something you said there, pointing out that a lot of depression, anxiety, those kind of disorders start in young people. Our sleep changes in our teens too, doesn't it? Our actual our sleep clock shifts. Is that have you been able to study uh, or take a look at over whether that shift is in 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 kids who are you know coming into a, some kind of mental health disorder? It's linked somehow to a sleep that sleep circadian rhythm shift not happening as it should or? Yeah, that's a great question, Fran. I think um, for whatever reason, society gives teenagers a really hard time about all kinds of yeah. things and their sleep is one of them. So we know that there is a, a biological shift during adolescence um, where the um, kind of time of the um, circadian rhythm shifts. So um, teenagers prefer to stay up later um, and wake later and that's just a natural um, part of being a teenager. Um, I don't know of um, work that has directly linked that um, to the onset of these problems, um, but we think that um, it's highly plausible that they are linked for certain people, whether there's something um, that, yeah, there's kind of a, a mismatch um, in, in some of these issues um, that then is kind of amplified as people get older. Uh, let's stay with you for a moment in your study while we're talking about depression, antidepressants and even sleeping medications. You've, Jacob, I think you've looked at the the impact of anti-anxiety medications, antidepressants on young people. They didn't necessarily particularly help with them getting good night's sleep, did they? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there are, there are certain types of antidepressants. Um, so, for example, there's, there's one antidepressant my team has studied called agomelatin, um, which has antidepressant effects, but it also seems to affect the circadian system. It, it affects the hormone melatonin. Um, and there's some research that shows that drugs like that can help with some of these sleep-wake problems, um, which may underlie depression in some individuals. So I think it's a bit of a, a tailoring of um, what is the, the drug that we're using for a given individual and does it kind of map on to whatever problem may be underlying their issue. So it's a complex question. Um, and we've got a lot of work to do to really tease apart what is the right treatment for a given individual. And Sean's done and some work. He might like to speak it, about it with antidepressants yeah. and light. Yeah, if I yeah Sean, I was just going to come to you before you go to light again. Is it, um, it, it, you know, different people have different antidepressant medication and anxiety medication works differently for different people. Uh, how do these medications work with our circadian rhythms? Is that important? And is that so very individual? Incredibly important. So uh, we're, we're doing a study now funded by the, the NHMRC looking at the, the impact of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors on, surprise, surprise, uh, your response to light. So we did a study a couple of years ago showing that selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors greatly increase the effect of light on the circadian system. And we think actually that's why they work and why they don't work. So we think it's, it helps because there is an acute alerting and mood elevating effects of light. Light therapy is uh, very useful, very beneficial for mood. And so we think that it's actually, these drugs are boosting the mood elevating effects of light 
during the day, um, but also they're making your circadian system so sensitive to light that a little bit of light at night can be very disruptive. So we think it's really a balance between the uh, beneficial effects of boosting light sensitivity on mood during the day and the negative effects of having this potential disruption of light uh, due to light at night. So my, my advice would be stay regular, have, have bright days, dark nights, uh, because it, it looks like these drugs might have uh, a previously unknown side effect of, of making you very uh, sensitive to uh, light disruption at night. Sean, I have to ask, could all these problems be fixed with an, with an, an eye patch, you know, a sleeping mask? Well, if, if you've got light coming into your room uh, at night, then definitely wear, wear an eye mask. But, uh, you know, my, my top tip is really get some smart lights in your house. They're not too expensive. Uh, they'll keep you from having to remember to, oh, it's, it's eight o'clock, start turning the lights down. And, you know, set them up, set it and forget it. That's the way we evolved. We evolved to not control the sun and to not have to think about it going up and down. So I would suggest that everyone just does this in their home, set it, it does its own thing. And uh, you'll find that your, your sleep-wake cycle follows that light. Okay. Before we finish today, I'm going to ask each of you for your top sleep tips. So you might remind us then at the end too, Sean, about the smart lights. Sharon, what about sleeping pills, sleeping medications? We've talked about melatonin, but are these good for regulating sleep patterns in the short term and in the long term, or can they get in the way of that? Yeah, look, most of the sleeping pills should only be used for short-term use. Certainly in older people, um, the sleeping pills, particularly the benzodiazepines, so these are your Valiums, um, your Normisins, so those kinds of things should not be used. Um, so the data shows that they create confusion, cognitive impairments, so problems of memory and thinking, and also falls in older people. So if they have to be used in the short term, you know, someone's grieving or there's some other kind of major event going on, that's okay. That's like a, a couple of weeks is okay. But beyond that, they shouldn't be used um, in older people. Melatonin is better. There are some randomized control trials and meta-analyses of melatonin in older people, even with cognitive impairment and even with Alzheimer's disease, and actually shows that that um, is um, beneficial for sleep and may even have more positive effects on cognition and mood. Um, so that's definitely better than, than using that. But also the gold standard treatment for sleep disorders is actually um, psychological and um, therapies which incorporate sleep hygiene, things you should do, practices that you should adapt, but also really um, working on the thinking around your sleeping um, as well. So um, there's lots of other things you can do aside from the sleeping pills. What do you mean by that, Sharon, working on the thinking around your sleeping? Yeah, so um, there's a lot of data that suggests that our attitudes and our beliefs about sleep actually contribute and perpetuate our sleep problems. So I have, I'm going to have a really bad night's sleep tonight um, mm -hmm. and you know, therefore you're kind of even when you wake up, you're kind of lying there thinking about how bad it is that you're lying there awake and actually contributes to not being able to get back to sleep. Yeah, and I think torturous. Yeah, and, and when you wake up, you actually, many people wake up from REM sleep, that dreaming sleep, and your brain is actually quite wired, so it's like being in an awake state. And so you really need to give yourself 20 minutes or so to just naturally fall back into that sleep stage, but a lot of people kind of obsess about that. So having a healthy understanding of sleep and an understanding that it does change a little bit as we get older is important and not to kind of dwell on it too much. Just that point about ageing, I'm just going to go to one or two questions that have been coming in. Someone asked, I'm having trouble. I sometimes feel super tired when I go to bed. When, when I get to bed, I wake up and I'm wide awake. I'm now aware this is the beginning of a night awake. This has been going on for many years now. I'm nearly 30 and I wonder if it's age-related. How much does age affect our sleep um, more and more? You know, people I know are waking up earlier, um, you know, and, and that's annoying to them, but they say, oh, well, I'm getting older. How much does age change the way you are? 
Well, I'll take that one first because that's certainly Sean's area as well. But, yeah, there is a natural advance of our circadian rhythm as we get older. Also, we do produce less of that hormone melatonin as we get older. So there's there's definitely evidence, you know, around that. But in addition to that, there's changes in sleep. Um, so we may sleep a little less um, than we um, used to, but also we have less of that really nice deep sleep as we get older. We have more awakenings during the night. Um, so... Um, and we have more light sleep. So we generally do tend to feel that our sleep is not as good quality as it used to be. And this goes to that feeling sometimes where you go to bed, you sleep, but you still wake up tired? What explains that, Sharon yeah. or Sean? You do have to dig a bit deeper there because sometimes people can wake up tired because they've got other sleep conditions like sleep apnea. So that's kind of classic. I've had seven or eight hours sleep. I felt I was totally zonked out. I had a great sleep, but I'm exhausted. Mm. You know, are there other medications that are contributing to that? Sleeping pills are classic. You get that kind of hangover effect from that. And sleep apnea is another big one. So it's important in that respect to talk to your doctor to get down to the nitty gritty of why you're still waking up tired despite a really good night's sleep. Okay, Sean, I see you nodding there. Do you want to contribute to this? Sharon's really covered it. But yes, with, with age, uh, you tend to see uh, more of an advance of your rhythms, uh, a, a dampening of rhythms, so less of a, a signal for day and night. So uh, perhaps less of a signal for alertness during the day and, and less of a signal for sleep at night. And part of that might be why you can wake out of sleep more easily and perhaps not be able to get back into sleep. But uh, Sharon also mentioned the lower melatonin, which is, which is quite common. So you're not getting that signal that it's nighttime uh, as readily. Does that mean we need less sleep as we age and therefore we should worry about not getting as many hours sleep or not? Yeah, look, I think the jury's are still a little bit out on whether we need less sleep, but certainly some of the data shows that maybe about an hour's less sleep, you know, is, is okay. Um, and, and I think the key thing we have to remember here is that it's how you feel the next day that's important. Um, so if you get less sleep, but you're still able to function well, then that's fine. You don't have any problem with your sleep. Jacob, this is an audience question too. Mm. As experts of sleep, do you feel it's hard to get to sleep yourself? What's your experience? Yeah, I've got a I've got a bad relationship with sleep myself. Um, no, I'm sorry. Sharon, Sharon was talking about sleep apnea, and that's something that I've dealt with for about fifteen years now, um, which is maybe kind of some of the reason that I'm researching these kinds of things to improve my own life. Um, but I think the last couple of years, I've really tried to protect my sleep at all costs. Um, so kind of building walls around my sleep routines um, and, you know, trying as hard as I can to, um, yeah, have a, have a good wind down routine and, and keep a regular schedule. Um, but it is a challenge. And especially mm -hmm. during periods like this in lockdown, um, uh, I think we need to also go easy on ourselves because there are a lot of factors at play. Um, we, we've got heaps of audience questions coming in, so we will go to those in a second. But just a couple of quick ones. Sean, what about the impact on our physical health? Claudia wants to know, uh, this is sent in earlier, is there a connection between sleep deprivation and autoimmune disease? And, and if so, how is it connected? In general, for both rhythms and poor sleep, uh, you'll, you'll tend to see more of a, a likelihood of getting ill, um, you know, uh, subpar responses to vaccinations and, and things like that. So, you know, it, it's, it never goes the other way, it seems. It's always, you know, poor sleep and a regular timing of your rhythms, worse stuff. Um, okay. All right. What about this one? A quick one, alcohol. A lot of us think, uh, you know, a bit of a drink at the end of the day is going to help us relax, going to help me get to sleep. True or false? Well, alcohol does have sedative effects and, and makes it easier to fall asleep, but it also, we know, fragments our sleep. So the, the quality of sleep is actually poorer. So, yeah, it does lead to a lesser night's sleep. Just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Okay, not the bottle, just the glass. That's right. Yeah, the okay. more you have, I don't know if anyone's ever experienced that, but you have too much and you wake up in the middle of the night, which is that classic oh, yeah. saying, you have a little bit, and it's okay. It gets you off quite nicely, you know, nice and chilled. <laughs> okay. And this question from Lauren, I think it's a $64 million question really given everything we've been talking about. Is it possible to reverse the effects of poor sleep habits, you know, four to five hours sleep per night? We saw on the poll that that's, uh, some of us get that little. Um, is five hours too little? And can you reverse it? Can you reverse the impact on it? 
Look, I don't know of any studies that have shown that you can reverse the effects of sleep deprivation. Um, we only know of stu studies, <laughs> you know, chronic sleep. But what I would encourage people to do is certainly to try and catch up on the weekend. I saw some other things in there about four-hour sleep and external stresses. I mean, there is strong data now on this, you know, only four hours sleep. I would be addressing the external stresses and I would say prioritise sleep. <laughs> don't prioritise, you know, to, my, to the extent that you can. If it's work and other things, try to minimise minimize those or change them in your life um, because the short sleep of four hours is not great unless that's naturally you, unless you've always been. Yeah. And, Sean, that notion of catching up on the weekend, does that work? Can you sort of kick around your circadian rhythms like that? Well, it's a bit of a problem because uh, if you are catching up, you're having a different kind of um, light exposure and sleep-wake pattern during the week versus the weekend, it's something that we call social jet lag. So you're signals to your clock of day and night are getting messed up and, um, and moved around. Uh, if you try to keep very regular, uh, that's, that's the best you can do. In fact, I, I tell people, don't stress out too much about uh, going to bed and just having, having to sleep. Uh, get the, the light right and your body will follow. So keep your home dim and at night as much as possible you will eventually probably fall asleep naturally. Um, so just try it out for a week. Try not having these bright overhead LED lights. Try not using your phone uh, at night just for a week, and you'll see that your, your, your body takes over. It does what it wants to do. I have this image of you, Sean, creeping around a very dark house at night. Um, let's take some of the audience questions now, uh, see what Slido's got to show us. Top question, this one's for you very directly, Sean, I think, is there a way to find out the natural circadian rhythm of a person? Is there such a thing as night owls and early birds? Sean, we'll start with you, and then, Jacob, I think you've got stuff to say on this too. Yeah, so we all have slightly different rhythms, and there are people who tend to be night owls, tend to be early birds. The, the interesting thing is it's uh, partly artificially created by our uh, light exposure patterns and our individual differences in light sensitivity. If you bring someone out camping, uh, a night owl and uh, an early bird out camping, they'll tend to have the same rhythms and the same sleep-wake cycle. So you get strong input, so bright days, dark nights, we're all kind of the same. Uh, but in these artificial uh, lights, we our differences in sensitivity and differences in the timing of our behavior, it, it pushes some people apart. It, it is true there's something within us that will tend to push us one way or the other. But if you get very, very bright days and very dark nights, we all tend to keep quite similar timing. Um, Jacob, this notion that some people are night people, some people are morning people, yet, you know, you might be morning people, but you get squished into a, a nine to five kind of cycle, where, which is how most people work. Have you, have you had a look at this? I haven't personally, but there is a lot of data on this. So there, there are genetic factors that um, kind of push us one way or the other way. Um, and, the, and people that have some of these genetic variants that are associated with being a night owl um, seems to be more at risk for having mental health problems. Um, and like I was talking about how we don't treat teenagers very well um, in society, we also don't treat night owls very well. So our society is a, a nine to five society. Um, so I think, yeah, there does need to be more flexibility for people that are potentially pushed towards that direction um, around how they spend their time in a way that um, potentially best suits their um, biology. Yeah. This is another question, very popular. Has the blue light myth been busted yet? Well, I'd like to take this. Uh, you go, There sure. are some very uh, wrong ideas about, about blue light. So blue light is not bad. Uh, it's, it's what bad is it? at night. Well, what is blue like light? your phones tend to have a lot of blue, blue light. The overhead LED lights, they tend to have a lot of blue in them. They might look white. But, you know, if you measure the, the wavelengths of light, they're quite enriched in blue. Uh, and it's not, blue light isn't inherently bad. The, the photoreceptors in the eye that feed into the clock are most sensitive to blue light. And they want as much light as you give them, uh, as much blue light as you can give them in the day, but very little at night because they're so sensitive to blue light, it doesn't take much to activate them. In fact, they, once these particular photoreceptors are activated, they can stay activated for a long time, for several minutes. So 
When you close your eyes at night, if you are exposed to a lot of blue light, you're, you're seeing nothing, but unconsciously there are signals from these blue light receptors to your brain saying, hey, you're looking at light. It's actually still daytime. Okay, so it's, so it's not a myth. It's a myth that it's bad for you in the day. So you shouldn't be wearing uh -huh. any kind of glasses that block blue light during the day. That's silly. You want as much blue light as you can get in the day and as little at night. So it, it all depends on time of day. So there's not a blue light myth, uh, really, but just uh, it, it's, it's a little more subtle than that. Just okay. What about, what about this question on the screen about menopause? It's, it's well known that menopause can really disturb people's sleep. Um, someone says, I was a peaceful sleeper, now wake up all the time. As both my parents had dementia, I think good sleep is essential. Any tips to restore sleep pattern post-menopause? Sharon, do you want to start first with this? And then uh, it's Sean or Jacob, you got anything to add? Yeah, so I mean, menopause is associated with changes in the in the getting getting to sleep can result in awakenings, can result in early morning awakenings, and can also result in lots of awakenings. You know, during the night, there are other things that happen with menopause and other medical conditions that can contribute to those sleep problems. So that's key, looking at those and how that may be contributing as well. The other thing is, it's depression and anxiety. You know, may peak at this time as well. Um, so certainly um, addressing those depression and anxiety are some of the biggest causes of sleep problems. So that's usually critical, to, even if it's very mild depressive symptoms, to really have a good look at that. The other thing that I would say is it's important to think about the lifestyle approaches. So staying physically active, cognitively active is really important. But also even consider, um, you know, trialling cognitive behaviour therapy. So four sessions of cognitive behaviour therapy for insomnia um, can actually be really helpful, either with a psychologist or it actually, actually you can even do it online now. There are a couple of online um, uh, programs. One's called Sleepio, another one's called Shut-Eye. Um, they have really good evidence base around them. They're personalized to you. Someone kind of walks through the different options with you. So even if you're not in a big city or you can't afford to go to a psychologist or any of those kind of things, there are options to tackle your sleep in that way. And the other thing I would say is, you know, maybe talk to your doctor about trialing melatonin. Um, that may well okay. be considering as well. Listen, why don't we, we're going to run out of time soon and I want to get your tips before we go. So let's crack on here. What about this question? Um, because I'm interested in this. <laughs> Do we have to sleep eight hours all at once? Could it be broken, for instance, into four two-hour breaks? Well, I think I know the answer to that. But it brings into my sort of obsession about napping. Does it work and does it all count together towards a good night's sleep? Look, it's really important to get the deep sleep, the slow wave sleep. That often happens first. So we we usually go into that nice deep sleep. I don't believe that it should be broken up into four chunks um, because sleep consolidation, you know, and the continuity of sleep is very important. It's obviously very rhythmic, as, you know, Sean has kind of alluded to. We flow in and out of these cycles. They relate to each other. I wouldn't be breaking it up, I guess, if you're desperate um, <laughs> and you have to do it that way. It's still better to get that sleep and we, we, we don't know enough yet about whether the brain will ensure we get all the critical amounts if it's broken up like that but yeah. so my hunch would be try and get it in one shot if, yeah and if i could add your 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 body's expecting to sleep at some times of day uh, and not at others so any sleep that you try to get during the day um is, is not going to be your best sleep you're getting signals for alertness at that time now it, you you might nap because you're exhausted and you're getting uh, bad sleep at night and so that that sleep pressure overwhelms these signals for wakefulness. Um, that's it's not so great, but it's necessary. And if you're doing shift work or things like that. Okay. What about can waking up at the same time in the middle of the night reset your clock so that it becomes a pattern that's hard to break? Sure. That is a, a brilliant question. Uh, yes, the, it, it tends to be able to get set up in in a sort of uh, a rhythm in in arousal. I would. Suggest that people, if they do wake up, they at least don't turn on the lights, giving the this signal that actually now now it's dawn and, and your clock will move toward it. But yeah, it 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 can set itself up as as a rhythm. So it's unfortunate, but it does happen. It happens to me quite a bit. Jacob, I'm going to try and bring you in the dreams. I don't know if you know about it, but do vivid dreams you recall in the morning influence your quality of sleep? Or I would add, say anything about the quality of your sleep. Yeah, I'm not actually um, too sure about dreaming. I know, like Sharon was speaking, speaking about before, when people are waking up during REM sleep, um, they might be more likely to remember um, 
dreams being vivid, um, but I'm not sure about the quality of sleep. Sharon might like to talk about that. No, no, I, w- I don't add anything there. I think the quality, you know, you have to think about how much of that deep restorative sleep you're getting. I don't know that we know anything about the vivid dreams and the quality of sleep. And what about coffee? Can any of you shed any light on coffee? We've talked about alcohol, but does one coffee before midday really affect your sleep? How much would it affect the natural rhythm if you had a coffee once a day in the morning? Or as some people I know, have five coffees in the morning. They seem to sleep okay at night. Other people, one coffee after you know lunchtime does them in. I'd say you've hit the nail on the head. It comes down to the individual. I used to be able to have coffee all day long and now I have to stop it like before three o'clock. Otherwise, it impacts on my sleep, ability to get to sleep. So I think that you have to remember that your sensitivity to caffeine changes as you get older as well. Um, And you need to, if you're finding it's impacting on your sleep, just cut it out. Sean, you might have thoughts about circadian rhythm and caffeine? Well, yeah, I, I could talk about the fact that uh, caffeine interacts with light as well. And so the, any effects of light are going to be enhanced, which, you know, might be good in the day. You know, you get you get that extra boost in, in the effect of light. Uh, but it also has such a long half-life that uh, if, if you have it into the even into the afternoon, there's still plenty in your body when you're trying to get to bed. So Perhaps that uh, light from your phone is having a much bigger effect than it would. Let's, I think, start to wind up now. I really want, you're all experts You've in your own areas. You've all got something to offer, I think. So before we go, let's give everyone a take-home gift. Can I get a final tip from each of you? Jacob, we'll start with you. Um, your best tip sleep. Now, as we say that, we've all heard that you don't sleep very well. So <laughs> this might be a problem for us. But from all your research, your best, your best tip for our sleep hygiene, I suppose. Yeah, I think thinking about sleep and wake being two sides of the same coin, so really keeping in mind that how we spend our days influences our night and how we spend our night influences our day. Um, and we have a lot of control of, over how we spend our day. So I think bringing together some of these things that we know are associated with good mental health, so um, being physically active, socialising with people and getting exposure to light, um, during the daytime and trying to do all these things at the same time um, can have a really positive effect on how we sleep and the rhythmicity of our circadian rhythm. Just a little more on that physical health thing. Is that about, I've always wondered, is, you know, we're always told go out and get some, you know, do some physical exercise. Is that to physically make our bodies tired or is it something else we're getting when we're out exercising? I mean, we, exercise does give us endorphins and it, it relates to different um, Uh, factors that are associated with our our brain health and it does help us fall asleep easier and seem to have a a better night's sleep. Sean, your best tip? We know it's about light. Yeah, two quick tips. One is a simple one, get smart lights. Uh, If you have to remember to to turn your lights down at night, you're going to forget a lot of the time. Your light cycle is going to be irregular. Set them up on timers. You go to Bunnings, JB Hi-Fi, they're not that expensive. Just stop you there, Sean, because when you say get a smart light, I didn't know what you meant. Do you just mean you get a timer? How do you attach your timer to your bed lamp? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Get it to turn it on and off. Yeah, smart lights, uh, they can change in their hue, so they can be more bright, white, blue. That's fine during the day. You want them as bright and blue as possible. Uh, But they can also change to more of an orange kind of um, candlelight color, and you can make them go very, very dim. If you just set them up to be dim and orange at night and bright and white in the day, at the times uh, you want to be awake and go to sleep, you'll never have to think of it again. Okay, that's tip number one. What's tip number two you said? Tip number two is easy. So tip number two is, if the sun is out, go get some light. If the sun is not out, avoid light. You don't want, you don't want to go outside if the sun's not shining? Yeah, well, there's the, the, uh, your circadian clock, it, uh, it doesn't really know the difference between it uh, you know, being overcast um, or very, very bright. There's enough light out there to, to do the trick, even when it looks a little, little grim and dim. Get out there. Um, yeah. Sharon, your best tip? 
Yeah, look, I've got two very different ones. One, um, particularly as it relates to older people, um, and when I say that, I say actually anyone over the age of 40 because that's when all the pathology that leads to dementia starts to build up in our brain. Um, so from that age, really, we should be looking out for you know things that we can do to prioritise sleep. Um, one big one is sleep apnea. So snoring, daytime sleepiness, look out for those. Go talk to your doctor. There are gold standard treatments for it. Um, we, we know that sleep apnea is starves the brain of oxygen it fragments our sleep a lot it can be treated so look out for that one so the take it seriously and get some advice yeah get some help even mild sleep apnea so having five of these events an hour so that's actually when you stop breathing during sleeping so you kind of gasp for air because of obstruction of the airway so um it's actually you know fairly significant the other one i think is really just touching on what jake said as well you know prioritizing sleep is important but we want to make sure we're getting that really nice deep quality sleep so physical activity resistance training and aerobic activity have both been shown to improve our slow wave sleep so how deep we go into that sleep that's when our our brain is clearing all the toxins out um, in that nice deep slow wave sleep but the other thing is cognitive activity so just as because we get older doesn't mean we have to keep doing the same thing keep the brain active learn new skills learn new languages change your job get more complexity in it and stay socially connected all of those things are important for keeping our brain active and and just to just to drill down into the cognitive activity that doesn't just mean doing crosswords and doing sudoku it means changing it around is that right so That's you right. can't just read novel after novel after novel so our brain gets lazy we want to challenge it for yeah. new optimal neuroplasticity we want to give it new things get different neurons talking to each other so keeping it um yeah challenging and and um mixing it up a bit is important. Gee, it's hard work we can just never take our foot off the pedal can we and just before i go i'm going to go to you on this one jacob someone's just written in squeezed it in there's been studies into music and how it affects our sleep what are your insights into this, Jacob? I don't know if you have an insight into this, but let me ask you anyway. Fortunately, I don't, know. It's like, you know, listening to music before we go to sleep can be part of our routine. You're someone who's had trouble with sleep. Have you tried music? Has it helped? I haven't tried. I've, I've used it as a, a bit of a calming kind of technique, but oh, nothing yeah. beyond that. Sharon? Um, we do know that there are studies that use acoustic stimulation, so noises that are linked and pick up our, um, it's, a, it's a technology that's not available yet, but that actually does enhance our slow wave sleep and some of the neurophysiologies. Um, so some work in people in Sean's group, Claire Anderson, um, is looking at that. Um, and so we, there's probably something in the music <laughs> that may well prove to be um, important, but we're not quite there yet with the science. There's always something in the music. Um, that's it from us for today. I want to thank you all. Thank you for your tips. Uh, these will all be collated and, and uh, all this advice and, and the references of our panellists will be there on the Sydney Ideas uh, website um, attached to this. But, you know, you can write it down now. Get your smart lights. It's all about your lighting. If you don't have a smart light, I think you just need an eye mask, perhaps to do a what, lot of what Sean was telling us. Get your physical exercise. Get out into the daylight. Um, when you can, make sure you do it every single day. We know all this. We are told all this. It's good for our hearts. It's good for our minds. It's good for our sleep. So get physical exercise. Um, get your lighting right. And if you are a snorer, if you've got any kind of sleep issues, Sharon says go to the doctor sooner rather than later. Thank you very much, Sean Kane, Jacob Krause, and Sharon Naismith. You've been fabulous. Thank you very, very much. And something really fabulous, apart from the tips from the experts today for you to take away into your daily life, we're putting together a Spotify playlist for you. How good is that? So talking about music, think of it as music to relax by, which includes random selections from our panellists. So the expert scientists have uh, given you their great musical tips here. Um, Jacob was keeping that from you, but he's contributed too. I've my, I put a touch of Gurumal on there as my contribution because he does it for me every single time. So some of our, some of our um, pe you know, people joining in too have given us ideas. So it's a terrific playlist. Head to Spotify, Sydney Ideas, it'll be there, and we'll add that to the website too if you can't find it. I'm Fran Kelly. This has been a Sydney Ideas event for the University of Sydney. It's been absolutely fantastic. It's been a thrill to be here. So thank you for joining us, and I hope you can join us again. Have a great day. Have a great evening. And best of all, have a great sleep. Thanks for listening to the Sydney Ideas podcast. For more links, resources or the transcript, head to the Sydney Ideas website or subscribe to Sydney Ideas using your favourite podcast app. Oh, 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 oh,